when, um, when Jesus spoke the words that Matthew recorded back in the first century, that first audience, whatever it looked like, whoever was in it, however big it was, they understood what he meant when he talked about struggling under heavy burdens, to, to be, um, to be carrying, um, the, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble because I keep hearing it in a different translation. So, um, so to be struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, that, 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 that was something they would have understood, um, in a way that maybe we don't, because it was the first century. They didn't have, uh, machines. I mean, you know, a, a high-tech machine in those days was the sundial or something like that. There were, there were some innovations, but they weren't the kind of things that make our lives so much easier. For them, uh, their lives were hard pretty much from the time they woke up until the, the time they went to bed. There were a few people who had labor-saving devices, if you're willing to call a slave a labor-saving device. But except for, you know, maybe 1% of the population, everybody else pretty much did everything they needed to do using their own muscle power. And, and if a few people were, were fortunate enough to have, to have oxes, uh, or something like that to help out with the plowing or something like that, well, in a way, that's just more work, right? You've got to feed the ox, you've got to muck out its stall, you've got to do all the things associated with having a large animal. So, so their lives were, were, were busy all day long with hard work, the kind of work that Jesus is talking about here, the, the, um, struggling hard and carrying heavy loads. Which raises the question, is this obsolete? Can we ignore this passage? Well, you know, today we don't have those problems. Today we've got machines for everything. We've got automation. Everything is so much simpler for us today, right? All we've got to do is turn on, turn a faucet and out comes water. We don't have to walk out to the well, you know, carrying a bucket and pump it until the water comes up and then, you know, carry the bucket back and then do this over and over again until we've We've got all the water we need. We don't have to do that. We just turn the knob and out comes the water, right? It's so much easier for us. We don't have the kind of problems they had. In fact, the other day I was biking along and I saw somebody had a, had a, um, had a powered skateboard. And I thought, well, even, even our, even our skateboards are automated, are, are, are mechanized, are, are, um, uh, powered by, by, um, motors. So motorized. There's the word I'm looking for. So um, even skateboards are motorized. So we don't we don't have to face the kind of challenges that that um, Jesus is talking about. So I can pretty much pray, and then we'll we'll leave, and and all of our problems are solved. We just kind of float above the the problems of life, right? We don't have uh, heavy burdens that weigh down on us, do we? Well. <laughs> Of course we do. Of course we have burdens that weigh us down. This is, this is not something that, that is, um, uh, equivalent. We don't have the same burdens, but everybody has burdens. My guess is you have as many burdens as I have. That, that, um, they, they don't weigh as much, but they weigh us down all the same. That, that there are people with worse problems. There are still people who do walk out to the well, however far it is, and they do carry those buckets of water back and forth. So, I mean, there are people even today who have problems worse than ours, but that doesn't mean we have no troubles. Um, we we have our own problems, whatever they may be, and you know they're they're all different, but they weigh on us. They're the reason we don't sleep at night. They're the reason we don't have leisure. They're the reason. We don't have enough time to do the things we need to do. 
So we have burdens. We have, we have obligations. We have things that weigh down on us. And, you know, maybe that makes us feel embarrassed. Maybe we say, well, look, you know, I shouldn't be worried about this stuff because there's people who have it so much worse. But my intention is not to, not to shame you or make you feel silly because your, your burdens aren't as, as worthy as some other people's burdens. I mean, the reality is none of us know how much something lands on other people. I'm sure you remember back during the, uh, the pandemic, we would see things like this. Suicide attempts have risen and, and drug overdoses. People are carrying heavy burdens, even if they've got a motorized skateboard. So my intention is not to shame anybody or make them feel like, like somehow that they're weaklings, because, because if I did, I'd have to start with me. So instead, what I want to do is I want to look and see what Jesus says. I want to assume that what Jesus says is accessible to us as well as people who are actually, you know, dragging a stick through the ground to plow or whatever they did um, back in the first century. That, that, that the same thing that Jesus offered to them is available to us. And it just makes sense. If it worked for people in an era of, of manual labor, uh, to a greater degree than we can imagine, how much more will it work for us? If our problems really are smaller, then how much easier will it be for what Jesus says to work in our case? So I want to look at this passage. So we're looking at the very end of chapter 11 of Matthew's biography of Jesus. So, so we begin in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from wise and intelligent, from the wise and intelligent, and have shown them to babies. So what Jesus is, is referring to here is everything that's come before in chapter 11. The, the, the things we've seen over the last couple of weeks as part of this conversation, where we've seen people are trying to figure out what, what Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he's doing. What is Jesus about? So we saw, we began, you know, and you can, if you're joining us kind of midway, then you can, you can go back and listen online because all this material is online. But, but uh, we saw it began with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was confused himself, even though he had announced the coming of this for, uh, of, of the Messiah, that he himself was confused by what Jesus was doing. And we saw that it wasn't just John the Baptist, that, that whole towns had witnessed um, Jesus's miracles. They had actually been there when he did uh, amazing miracles. And even in the towns where he had done the most miracles, people said, well, you know, crazy things happen. You know, the, the world's full of strange stuff. And they said, we can discount that, that it's not anything that affects my life. So they just kind of wrote Jesus off as, as an interesting curiosity and then moved on with their lives. So, so Jesus is saying that even smart people, even holy people have missed what God is doing. He says, you've hidden these things from wise and intelligent. But he says it's not because they're, they're impossible to understand, that God, God reveals things even to babies. It's not like you've got to be a PhD or, or, you know, some kind of amazing brain that, that even a baby can understand because God will show it to people. It is God who shows these things to people. And so he says that because God wants us to understand what Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, who Jesus is and what he's doing, that God actually shows people who he is. And then he goes on, verse 26, Indeed, Father, this brings you happiness. What Jesus is saying is that, is that this is 
what God has been up to, that, that everything God has done since people first turned away from God, that since, since, since people said, you know, thanks, I'll run my own life, thank you very much, God has been pursuing them and has been arranging history to bring history to this place, that, that everything has finally come together in the person of Jesus Christ, that all of the pieces that God has arranged beforehand are finally um, are finally in, in the right place, and in Jesus, everything is unfolding. That God looks at what he has done with delight, because it has all finally come together. God has been as impatient as anybody else, and now it has come together. This brings you happiness. And then he says, verse 27, My Father has handed all things over to me. No one knows the Son except the Father, and nobody knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. Jesus is saying that this that 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 yes, John announced the coming of the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah for hundreds of years people have been saying when is God going to do the thing that has now made God happy? When is God going to do this? People have been awaiting a Messiah. It's been actually quite a while since they've heard from a prophet, but Jesus is is speaking prophetically on behalf of God. So so those things people had categories for, but Jesus is saying there is something totally different here, something unique and unprecedented. And this is why God has to reveal it, because no one knows the Son except the Father, and nobody knows the Father except the Son, that there is a relationship that is utterly different from anything that has come before. There was a king of Israel. There were several kings of Israel. There have been prophets. But for the Son to come to earth is a unique thing, and the reason is because God wants Jesus to reveal himself to 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 reveal God by coming to earth as God in human form. So he says, nobody knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. That Jesus' purpose is to reveal God in himself. And that finally now brings us... Uh, actually, I, I should just pause and say... <laughs> That is an amazing statement, and I, I, I'm passing over it because I want to talk about the next verse. But this is essentially um, the, the the hinge. This is the point of Matthew's Matthew's biography that that everything that he's said so far, the Sermon on the Mount and the miracles and everything up to this point, and everything that will follow. Every this this is the claim that will that will lead to Jesus's crucifixion, and and it is the purpose for which God will raise him. This is really the center of, of all human history, this, this idea that, that God has come to earth in human form to reveal the purposes of God, so, which, which is the salvation of the world. So this is really the, the whole point. So um, I'm not going to try to do justice to what Matthew spends the next, uh, whatever, 17 chapters uh, going through. So I'm just going to say that and encourage you to read your Bible. But but I want to go on because the next verse is what I wanted to talk about today. I want to talk about rest. And that's what Jesus talks about in verse 28. So he says, Come to me, all you who are struggling and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, whether whether you're plowing, you know, in the first century, or whether you're, you know, trying to get some paperwork done for your boss in the 21st century, come to me, you who are carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. So, come to Jesus.
So we, we struggle maybe a little bit. If you're, a, if you're a Christian, you may struggle a little bit. And if you're part of the, the wider culture, if you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, you know, you're not sure, am I a Christian? Am I not? You may struggle with the, the, this very language, come to Jesus. Um, because it has, it has kind of fallen out of favor in the church for whatever reason. You know, maybe we haven't done a good job of telling people this is what Jesus says. But for whatever reason, we don't use that language as much, as much in the church. And so it's not as popular as it used to be. But it's become more and more popular in the, the broader culture. And I'm not just guessing that that's true. You can actually look at uh, Google Ingrams and you can see that over the past uh, couple of decades, maybe 30 years, that the use of this phrase, come to Jesus, has really taken off, that it's a whole lot more popular than it used to be. But unfortunately, it has a different meaning than what Jesus has. So uh, so um, a couple of years ago, there was an article in Forbes that said the come to Jesus moment is the most annoying business expression on earth. They actually did a poll of their readers, and they found out that people didn't like the idea of a come to Jesus moment. Why wouldn't people like the idea of a come to Jesus moment or come to Jesus meeting? Well, because because as the as people define it, a come to Jesus meeting is the time when a polite ultimatum is given, generally followed by a less polite ultimatum and then a threat. And um, in the free dictionary, we see this this uh, uh, example usage. It says, after months of poor performance, the boss is calling Janet in for a come to Jesus moment uh, meeting. So, so we see this, and in fact, if you are Janet's boss and you're thinking it's time for us to have a come to Jesus meeting, well, you can go to training. You can actually go to a seminar that will teach you how to have a come to Jesus meeting with your employee. So, so this is the problem, right? Because, because people don't know what a come to Jesus meeting is anymore. People don't know anymore what a come to, to Jesus moment is. That when Jesus says, come to me, he doesn't say, and I will give you a pink slip. He doesn't say, I will put you on a performance improvement plan. Jesus is not coming to your office. Jesus is not saying, I'll see you in the woodshed. Jesus is not saying this is a threat, a, a polite ultimatum followed by an impolite ultimatum followed by a threat. Jesus is not inviting us to do that. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are struggling and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I will give you rest. So what does he mean by that? Well, we know what rest is, right? Probably, if this congregation is like the rest of America, none of us are well-rested. You know, there, there are these studies that say we're all like a couple of hours short on sleep, um, that, that, that we don't get enough just physical bodily rest, period. But that's not the only way we're unrested, that, that we understand what rest is. It means to, to stop doing the thing you're doing, right? Just take a break. So we understand it that way. But this word is even bigger than that, that um, the same word is used in, um, in the Acts of the Apostles, and really for the same purpose. Uh, Peter is, is recounting that uh, as people turn back to God, God will provide a season of relief, times of refreshing, that, that when we turn to God, God is not going to, to punish us or, you know, make us say we're sorry or anything like that. God wants to give us rest. God wants to give us a season of relief. That this is what God can do. This is what Jesus promises. When we come to Him, we will receive rest. In fact, I was thinking maybe a better translation than, than, um, uh, rest would be rest up. 
It's the opportunity, yes, for physical rest, but also to kind of catch your breath, to to um, to relax for a minute. You know, think about the first century. You're, you know, if you're working from the beginning of the day to the very end, you never got a rest. Yeah, there was always something else to do, and somehow we managed to to create that, even though we have motorized skateboards that we have that same sense that there's always something else to do. That's why we don't have enough leisure. That's why we have this phenomenon. I'm sure many of you have noticed it. I've got to do a lot of stuff because I've got a vacation coming up. So I'm working late so I can take some time off. That, that this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, he's saying that's not the way to rest. I mean, go ahead and do it. But if you want rest, it's not by working hard so you can have a vacation. It's by coming to him. And he will provide rest. So what does he say? Someone is resting. <laughs> okay, that's the loudest rest I've heard. And all I can guess is that you were the first one in the room to turn to Jesus. So, so, so what does he say? He says, put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble. So what does he mean by that? Well, he means he means it's hard. He knows that it is it is an act of humility to turn to him to to say, "Look, I'm carrying a burden and I would like help. I'm not Superman." Right? I maybe I can do this. Maybe maybe I can't. If I do it, I'll have to sacrifice other things that are important, right? I can I can get the work done that my boss wants, but it means I'm going to miss something important going on at home. So, so maybe I can do it, but only by sacrificing something else that I consider important. Maybe I just can't do it. Maybe I'm at my breaking point. So it means saying, no, I can't do this by myself. That's a, that's an act of humility. But it's also an act of faith. It's saying, when I turn to Jesus, when I come to Jesus and say, help, he's not going to wag his finger. He's not going to poke me in the chest and say, you know, you're a weakling, you're a snowflake, you're a loser. That it's an act of trust that Jesus loves me and is motivated to help me, to give me what I actually need instead, instead of what I deserve. It's an act of faith. It's an act of humility. And because of that, we may be reluctant to do it. But Jesus says, it's okay. I'm gentle. I'm humble. If you are humble, if, if this is a humiliating um, action for you. That's okay because I'm humble too. You know, me too. Jesus is saying, that's okay. When you turn to me, you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, I said, we, we, we come to Jesus. I mentioned to the children, Jesus is, is as close as a whisper. That because Jesus has ascended to the Father, he is ready for you to turn to him wherever you may be. So how do we do it? Well, the first thing is decide what you're going to ask for help with. Now, if you really have nothing, nothing at all, that your life is just so wonderful that there is nothing you would like help with, that there is no burden that you feel you feel burdened by, then this is not going to do you any good. But if you can think of something you would like to be relieved of, something that makes you weary, then say, help. 
Help me with that, Jesus. And maybe that's going to require some effort. Maybe that's going to actually, you're going to have to you know, take a prayer retreat and figure that out. But my guess is most of us, we know already that as soon as we, as soon as we heard the question, we thought, I know what I need to go to Jesus with. So what do you do? Well, come to Jesus. Go to Jesus and say, I would like help with that. And then listen. Listen to see what he says back. Say, you know, maybe, maybe he will tell you, well, you need to stop that. You know, that's what we dread because anybody could tell us that. But maybe Jesus will give us clarity about how or why we need to stop it. Maybe Jesus will say, you know what, here's a different way to think about it. Maybe you could do it this other way. Maybe Jesus will give us some kind of clarity. Maybe Jesus will say, yes, okay, I've got somebody lined up. They're ready to help you right now. Go ask them. Ask Jesus for help and then listen to see what he says. You know, our culture got the idea of the come to Jesus meeting not from reading the Bible. They got it from us. They heard the way we think as Christians about a come to Jesus moment or a come to Jesus meeting. And they said, boy, they sure sound like they hate that. But imagine, imagine if we actually did it instead of just talking about it. If we actually turn to Jesus and if Jesus is telling the truth that he will give us rest, that he will provide seasons of refreshing, what picture would they get then? You know, we can correct them. We can say, well, that's not actually what, what the Bible says about rest, about a come to Jesus meeting. But instead of telling them, why don't we show them? Why don't we be the people when, when the new, when the new thing comes down from the, the boss or, you know, some, some new burden arrives in our lives that we're the ones who say, I know just what to do with that. We take it to Jesus. And Jesus gives us the rest he promises. Imagine if people could look at us and say, look, I don't, I don't believe in dinosaurs or seven-day creation. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I don't believe in Jesus. But you know what? I like what they've got. I don't know what I think about Jesus, but I would sure like to have the thing that they've got. We have the opportunity, by turning to Jesus, not only do we experience rest ourselves, we have the opportunity to correct people's misunderstanding about what a come-to-Jesus moment is. So I'm going to invite you, if you thought of that thing you'd like to be unburdened about a minute ago, then I'm going to invite you to, to name that before God in our prayer. And if not, then I want you to start thinking about what that might be, and then say, the same thing to Jesus when you when you do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, you have given us so many things that make our lives easy. We we get fresh, clean water from the tap, but we carry loads of bottled water in from the grocery store. That there's something about us, Lord, that that uh, that there's like a vacuum that is that is immediately filled with new work and new busyness, Lord. There are things that weigh us down. And we can laugh at them, we can be embarrassed about them, Lord, but ultimately, we know, we believe that Jesus will help us with them. So we turn to you 
we come before you, Lord Jesus, and we say, take this burden. Give me the rest you have promised. Lord, for those who are still wondering if this is if this is true, but they cannot think of something, Lord, give them clarity. Help them to understand the places that you long to give them rest. And Lord, by our trusting in you, by our coming before you, help us not only to have the rest that Jesus promised, but to be a light to the world, to show others around us a place where they too can find rest to the glory of of his name. We pray this all in the name of the one who offers us rest, our Lord Jesus. Amen.